dialed in to Fox and Brews, you might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these stuff. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. And brews. Bucks and brews. Welcome back to Bucks and Brews. Nick, it's been a long, long time. It has. It feels like 48 hours. Uh, it's been about 48 hours. Hey, but at least I got the episode up before this one started, which, you know, I wasn't sure I'd be able to, but I did. That's awesome. It is. So, since we uh, last seen each other. Yes. What uh, What do you get to drink tonight? Um, I'm doing the same thing. I'm still sticking to... That was loud. Yeah, it was loud to you. Um, still sticking to the non-alcoholics tonight, trying to, you know, make my wife a little happier with me than... Guinness and Labatt, though. Yeah, Guinness, non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholics, so where is you have Guinness and Labatt in front of you, then? I do, but they're non-alcoholic, Guinness and Labatt. Yeah. Really? So little, yeah. Fake black and tan here. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, it's like, tonight I have some really fun summer things. Mike's Hard Lemonade, Pineapple Passion Fruit. And, seasonal pick and then you have one beer you're sponsored by i am sponsored by a guy who's joining us mr mike uh brew dog pride passion fruit sour so it's going with this passion fruit's like the flavor of the year i'm telling you I, you know i'm not a huge sour fan that's good beer good i like it good and uh we're joined by a good friend of mine mr charlie gow um charlie's a real estate investor he's a dad a very good friend of mine and uh oh we should should we take a yes, scam no, call? We have to take the scam we call. Hang on, guys. Call. Hold on. We do this for interruptions, it's fun. Hello, Snick. Hello. Hi, yeah, you're on air. Yeah, this is Lincoln. I'm calling you from Benefits. Senior benefits. Lincoln, um, hey, can you say hi to all of our fans that are listening to us? I'm sorry. Um sorry, I'm recording you just so that way all of our fans can hear what's going on here. Um, so just letting you know that we're we're on a big uh, radio conference. I'm confused. Everybody, what? Oh, uh, you're confused. I'm um, sorry. Let me try this again. Uh, you're talking to me while I'm talking to a big fan base on national uh, radio, and uh, so we're just interviewing you here. Do you have a couple minutes? Technically, we're worldwide. We are worldwide. Worldwide. What's that? And are you prestige worldwide? Oh, well, here, we're trying to do our job. So tell me uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? <laughs> oh, that was boring. He didn't want to talk to us. That sucks. Oh, you should have asked him to make his pitch online. He could have gotten all these people. <laughs> could have gotten all these people. That pitch can go on forever. <laughs> You're so, right, it could. Senior benefits. Why are you getting calls for senior benefits for? Well, you know, when you're my age, you, uh, you get those yeah, calls. He is retired. Right. Yeah. When you're Nick's age, you put your daughter on the phone, who's not yet seven years old, and she tells them she's 68. <laughs> so, sorry. Back to Charlie. Charlie, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, maybe a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I've been uh, living in Grand Rapids since uh, 2008. Um, uh, prior to that, I kind of lived uh, all over the country and the world for about a decade, but I'm originally from Michigan. Uh, kind of a uh, long story short, uh, my dad uh, was my first exposure into real estate. 
Um, he was uh, kind of the do-it-all landlord, handled the service calls, handled the payments, uh, you know, pretty much, you know, bookkeeper or whatever you're, you can think of, he did that. And then uh, uh, essentially uh, he took a job as a handyman with this uh, woman. And uh, and what happened was uh, over the next 30 years, he made himself so irreplaceable to her as her handyman that she sold off her entire commercial portfolio. And so how I came into play is I was doing a lot of the translating for my dad because he couldn't speak English. Um, so a lot of legal documents I was reviewing when I was like, you no, know, 10, 11, 13 years old. And then on top of that, I was doing a lot of the clean outs, you know, a lot of commercial roofing, a building, uh, every child labor law you could think of, I pretty much broke. Yeah, it's so, uh, yourself. It's okay. Yeah, so uh, basically, uh, after I got exposed to that, the first thing I did when I graduated from high school is I wanted to get as far away from real estate as possible because I was like, real estate sucks. I don't want to see our toilet with, you know, pooping it again, yeah, yeah. you know, our dumpster, and then... Kind of, I, I was in the you know corporate world, W2, I worked for multiple Fortune 500 companies, did really well there, uh, you know, worked in uh, strength and conditioning, also worked in uh, commercial lending, and I did well in all those industries, but I kept coming to the conclusion is that I'm making a lot of people money, and I'm still working super hard, so if I'm going to work that hard for somebody else, I might as well work that hard for some myself, and so that's kind of how I got to where I am at now. Sure, um, and then now... So your dad was a handyman and he made himself irreplaceable. Did uh I mean did he transfer out of being a handyman or was did he stay that way the whole time? So the oddly enough, this exact same thing almost happened to me when I was in college. But um one of the chefs at the one of the restaurants that the woman owned, he basically no-showed. Uh and my dad was like, Yeah, I can cook. And she's like, You always say you can do everything. Are you sure you can cook? And he was like, Well, I'm the only person you got. So, <laughs> so basically, he took over. And, you know, I, I, long story short, she basically was like, Oh, you do know how to cook. And she's like, Why? Well, I, I still need you as a maintenance guy. And he, my dad was like, Well, why don't I do both? So, uh, you know, one of the things I would say is that it's definitely shaped how I uh, act, you know, you know uh, not see my dad very much, but my dad was a classic work 80, 90 hours a week. Uh, you, uh, you work until you die type of guy. Um, so, uh, it was, um, it, it was, it was bittersweet in the sense that, you know, I got into uh, a financial freedom much faster, but I, I will tell you that I, I didn't get to see my dad a lot when I was younger. And, uh, oddly enough, um, now that we're talking about him, he's actually moving back with me next month, uh, uh, in from assisted living facility. So it'll be, uh, my turn to take care of him. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's great. Um, now, I guess you mentioned there that, you know, you got to financial freedom faster than he did. Um, let's talk about, like, what you did that was different than what he did. I mean, you, you talk about ownership. Did, did we find out what Mike or Charlie are drinking? No. God, we're horrible hosts. Well, I had to stop you because you're so excited here. Hey. Guys, are you drinking anything? No. Uh, if I did ask them, they'd probably use water. So they just got done working out water, vitamin water, you know, supplying those lines. We support water drinking. We do. I say we've had plenty of guests. Yeah, the professor he drinks water every time. City of Lansing water. Lansing tap water. Say, Mike, you got anything to drink? You're on mute, Mike. <laughs> Professional here. First time. Austin Brothers. It's called Blackberry Sour Bay. All right. It's a berry sour. And what else did you say it has in it? The mango and sea salt. There we go. Back to your question. All right. So, Charlie, so you said that you got the financial freedom, I guess, faster than he did. Um, and it was because you learned you didn't want to do exactly what he did. So, 
Um, what do you do now that that made you, I guess, have more financial freedom and fast? You know, I, I guess it's hard to say. I, I um, I didn't see I got to financial freedom faster. I assume I did. It's hard to sell because my dad. I mean, I guess it depends on what you do with financial freedom. Because my dad was the type of guy, like you know, he buy a brand new car, but he would drive it until basically like it was like you know somebody forced him to sell it or whatever. Um, so I mean, his cost of living was so relatively low that he might have made it there faster than me. But uh, he definitely didn't ever have that lifestyle balance. And so really, I always see that. Uh, I may not have been financially freedom of them, but I definitely had a lifestyle, uh, a, a livable lifestyle significantly faster to them. And the biggest thing I think I did differently from him is I, I made that transition from, um, you know, it's time to not be good at everything. Like I, I like to think I'm good at a lot of things. Um, as I grow older, I feel like I'm just good at the things I want to be good at. Uh, my dad is good at a lot of things. He's a fast learner, but to be honest, I actually think it was a crush because, uh, you know, at times it's kind of like, oh, I can do that. I can do this. Whereas now it's like, you know, I'll use an example, like my bookkeeper, I might charge her seven or she might charge me seven or $10 to pay a bill that I can pay literally in five seconds. I can log into GRP and pay in five seconds. But then the problem then is that if I mess up her system and say, Hey, I went ahead and paid this for you. I send in the receipt. And then at the end of the month, she's kind of like, well, wait, wait, where's my invoice? Can you tell me what this payment was? And then ends up wasting both her time and my time more. So it's like, you know, it's weird that I'm paying somebody seven bucks to do something that I could easily do in that amount of time, but it's just matter. I've just started to outsource everything as much as I can. So, you know, I have a cleaner, you know, um, we haven't outsourced laundry yet, even though I considered it, but everything I can, I try to outsource it. So all my properties are third-party management, except for some things I have in-house management for, but I really just try to get as many things as possible. And then, and then another rule I kind of have too, as well is that, um, you know, I used to have tools for everything. Like I had a tile saw, I had like a with sander and everything. If a tool breaks, I basically, I, I, I just, I just basically hire somebody out to do it. So like two days ago, I had a shut off valve in my bathroom. Um, I easily could have fixed it, but you know, my wife was already on top of it where she just called a plumber, you know, got a $90 bill. I could have done it myself probably in five or 10 minutes, but you guys know how it is. You know, sometimes it is a really easy fix. And then sometimes after you've gone to your fifth trip to Home Depot, you're like, what the F? I should have just hired somebody else to do it. So it, it's definitely been hard letting go of that, but I'm just trying to get as much stuff outsourced to other people as possible so I can just focus on, you know, my my core values and what I want to do most. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm dealing with that right now, a personal struggle because you know, like you said, you could fix it in, in quick time, but then, you know, the other times it'll take you however long. We talked about why I was on vacation and I got a bill for a hundred something dollars for an aerator, right? Like you can unscrew that thing and turn it in and it's a $3 part. And like, I was so mad about the hundred and something dollars. And then right now I'm working on a flip where we've dumped 120 yards of trash. And before I came here, I was like, all right, if I just do a little bit every day, I mean, even if I pick up 10 things, like it's going to, it's going to help. And I should just pay the 300 bucks. I can get somebody to go clean the rest of it up. But, well, you know, we talk about time value money a lot on this because, you know, especially as, as we all get older, you figure, you know what, it's worth it to me just to pay to have this done and I don't have to deal with it. I can go do something else. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you know, yeah, I used to like have like, uh, so there is a specific city. I'm not going to say names or that, but in the Kent County area, there is a specific city I hated working with. And I used to basically use their dumpsters, even though I just go out of my way. Like 
you know, like I had a place with a ton of trash. I'm, I'm going to dump my stuff in their dumpsters. I used to like just do that kind of cheap stuff where I'm like, oh, I'm saving 30 bucks here and there. I know I'm, I'm saving a $300 dumpster. And I used to like dump stuff in their dumpster, things like that, just because I was just like, you know, ask you, you guys screwed us on so many occasions, you know, like, you know, like I, I had one house where the city basically failed to um, fix the storm sewer infrastructure. And so our basement flooded because they basically knew a storm sewer failing. And they're basically like, oh, sorry. I'm like, sorry, well, you guys got to fix my basement because I just finished it and you guys basically ruined it. They didn't do anything about it. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I run into that obstacle all the time, you know, especially with tenants. Sometimes you do things in principle that's like, should I just pay this tenant off and make the problem go away? Or should I basically like make sure that they're punished? Because I don't want to reward a tenant for being a bad tenant. And also, I don't want other landlords to have to experience this horrible tenant too, as well. So, you know, it, it's a daily struggle, but it gets easier. You know, and then obviously, you know, I try to align my schedule with basically how I align my values as well. Well, it's, you know, I, I'm dealing with that a lot. I do property management, as we talk about a lot. Um, you know, tenants or landlords will ask me, "Hey, should we just pay to let them go?" And it's a quick option, but I always just say no. Like you know what, like you've already done, put me through all of this right now. I want the full eviction. I want you to have that there because the same, I don't want that to go to the next person because the next person could be me and they're going to come find me. Who's this guy who's, you know, if I do a background check and do all that, it's not going to show up. So, um, you know, I, I try to set up the next person for success, not just myself. Um, you know, we have a, we have a tenant right now. who They put their money into escrow and, uh, now all of a sudden everything's fixed and it's been three months let's say and they're refusing to pay two of the months because they don't feel they should that's not how it works like we fixed it everything's ready we're gonna take this you know the owner's like ah it's fine just give it to him let him get out let him do this and i was like oh like let's go to to the court my my 40 dollar filing fee is well worth it so um now so you you talked about some of your rentals and i know you're in other fields of real estate so you're an agent as well mm. um and then you you own uh some other commercial space i guess can you talk about that a little bit yeah so the uh you know people are always asking these numbers and quite frankly like you know i don't keep track of it to the um like how many units i have you know because like uh, the common thing i see is people you ask how many units are like oh i got 1500 units but it's well really i have one percent of 1500 units so like so if you ask me kind of how many units I have, I mean, that number is uh, in the, you know, over a thousand units, but then, you know, there's a lot of units I only have anywhere from one to 10% of two as well. So, cause I have a lot of passive investments too, you know, that I'm technically owner of, but the, the two numbers I am pretty consistent. I, I own just under 300,000 square feet of industrial and self-storage. And then I own uh 29 uh, multifamily, a small multifamily or single family units. That I'm a 100% owner of. And then after that, it gets really hazy where I'll have, you know, 50% deals, 25% deals, 5-1% deals, royalty deals, you know, uh, uh, quite a few different deals like that. So, so so yeah, I guess, you know, the storage unit side, Um, how did you get into storage unit? What do you like about it? And, uh, you know, I'm a a residential guy, kind of how you started, you know, what, what made you go that direction? 
you know, people always ask me this question. They're always surprised to hear, but what, I mean, you always hear this like, oh, well, what, what, uh, what asset class should I get into? And I'm like, well, if I really thought one asset class was better than all the others across the board, then I would only own, you know, in that asset class. You know, I, I, I personally like, like all different asset classes for a number of re- different reasons. Self-storage, you know, one of the reasons why I like self-storage is because it's the only asset class I can build and have instant equity. If I build industrial warehousing, if I build multifamily, I'm pretty much underwater the second I finish building. And most of the time I need a subsidy or I need um, uh, uh, a grant or something to make those numbers work. Self-storage, I don't need any of that. And really, um, you know, it's it's not a lot of moving parts. So after I get done with the soil and the excavating, there's really not that many unexpected hiccups. It's just a matter of now, because there are fewer moving parts, if you mess up one single part, like you mess up the timing, it could be a hundred, $150,000 mistake easily. Um, so that's one aspect that I like about the self-storage. You know, the downsides of it, though, is that people think that storage in general is inherently recession-resistant. Uh, I do not necessarily agree with that. I agree that in the right market it is, but, you know, we talked about, you know, ease of getting yourself storage. You can get in with, you know, 15% down. You can get in with, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a less overhead for building, but at the same time, that's the same as true as everybody else. So everybody else can do it easily too, as well. That makes it harder to stay off competition. So in Michigan, we have relatively easy laws to build. But some states, like in Texas, there are like really, really strict. Like you have to have retail. You have to have a masonry fence where they can't be visible. So I actually like to be in areas where there's a high barrier because I've been in markets before where we were doing really well. We were making a lot of money. Then flash forward, somebody else sees it, and they're like, oh, sweet. Let me come in and build a massive whale of a storage facility. And then before we know it, everybody else is suffering because there's just – not enough demand basically because somebody's build it. And so then now my numbers are coming down because my pricing is based on my demand. So, so those are kind of, you know, the things that, so it's a kind of a dual-edged sword. I want to make sure I'm in markets that have inventory that can't be replicated easily. So when you go into a more area that's too rural, you got to worry about land being too cheap and anybody can build it. So, so I try to be in areas that are a little bit more population dense or have, you know, growing population. Uh, but then like multifamily, for example, in general, my returns are not nearly as good as multifamily, but if I had to classify my investing in multifamily, I'm, asking, I'm, I'm investing more for asset preservation. So in self-storage, I'm looking more at asset growth, but in um, multifamily, I'm looking at asset preservation. It's a high barrier to build. Not anybody can do that. They might think they can, but they, they don't know. I mean, going from flipping house to unlicensed contractors or contractors that you know are doing things very cheapest, Versus, you know, going to commercial where all my contractors are probably twice as much as what some of you would pay for flipping, you know, and but I'm paying for convenience, right? I can't deal with uh, an electrician that is learning on a job that thinks they know what they can do, that they're holding up my tenants, they're holding up my bulldozers that cost millions of dollars. So on that side, you know, multifamily, I find it's a more stabilized asset. A lot of my assets in multifamily don't produce very well for one or two years, but then year three, four, or five, you look really good. But I also know too, as well, you know, in particular in West Michigan, that we have such strong economics. You have a housing shortage, we have population growth, um, and we still have relatively low cost of living, even with all the growth that we have. So even though I might on paper have a lower return, like, you know, I might only get 6%. I'm I'm fine with that, but I reasonably know that even in a downturn in the economy, I likely will still get six percent, and more than likely, if the economy's hot, it's going to outperform that. 
So I, I call it chasing cap rates. Uh, I don't chase returns just because I need to get the numbers I want. I chase economics. I change areas that have strong economics because at this point in time, when you have a lot of money at this point, at some point in time, you're just worried about not losing it, if anything. Sure. Um, so that's like, now we, we've talked a couple episodes on, on my portfolio and how I, I self-manage. You said you have third-party management. Um, I guess I want to ask you why you have third-party management and you know, why, why you like it versus self-managing. Yeah, actually, hold on, my kids just got back, so. No, that's all right. If, uh, if, you hear, if you hear people swearing or glasses breaking in the background, those aren't my kids. It's the next-door neighbor, so. Just so you oh, know. dude, I'll totally, <laughs> I didn't even know you lived that close to your next-door neighbors. That's so weird. I thought I thought you were on, like, a million-dollar ranch with no, no one around. Well, I mean, nobody has ever said a swear word on the show. That's true. Oh, uh, um, so, you know, uh, I, I actually did have my own property management uh, company for a while. I also worked for a property manager, so I could actually do it. Um, the one thing I really miss doing, because I, I can tell you that when I manage my own properties, I almost never, I, I, I never, I never had an eviction and people are like, oh, that's BS. I'm like, no, it's because I spent so much effing time to do it. But at the same time, I know that if somebody else said, Hey, would you place my tenant for me? I'd be like, I, I'd want to charge them like three months rent to do that. So I can't, you know, you can't, so I, but I'm not, I'm not willing to pay my property manager like $3,000 to do that good of a job placing my tenants. Right. So I think that's the biggest adjustment that people make. Um, the other thing about it is that when I had a property management company, I was, you know, okay, I'm saving 2,300, I'm saving $4,000 a month. And, you know, that was important to me. But then I, what happened was it got to the point where I was spending more time managing, growing my property management company, which people know this. Property management is not lucrative unless you get economies of scale. I mean, to be honest, it's slow margins. It's a very tough business to get into. Um, when you are trying to grow two companies at the same time, what often happens is you do an average job with both. So my philosophy is like, you know, I solved my property company. I think I made like, you know, $10,000, $12,000 done off that, that my, my management portfolio. And then essentially, um, I, I basically just focused on growth. And the second I did that, I basically tripled my multifamily portfolio basically over the course of like, you know, like a year and a half. And so for that reason, that was why I wanted to do it because I wanted to focus on income growth, not cutting expenses. I wanted to have that abundance mindset. Now, at some point in time, you know, if I, if I have 300 units in Kent County, Michigan, uh, because I have a lot of units kind of spaced out, I probably will then at that point bring property management house, but I won't be building it out in house. I probably will just buy somebody else's property management company. And then, I, and then that's how I'll get my economies of scales that we won't focus on a acquisition at that point. We're just going to focus on efficiency of let's just manage our properties in house because we have so many of them. So that would be, would be my strategy down the road. Um, because I have a lot of holdings in West Michigan, though, a lot of my investing um, uh, has gone out of state, though, more recently. Well, and Charlie brings up a good point. I mean, if you're trying to work on two businesses that are taking a lot of time, you can't ever devote enough attention to either one of them. Uh, I heard a great quote from a famous person who once said, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. Ron Swanson. That's correct. Um, Who said that? Ron Swanson. Oh, Ron Swanson. Yeah, I'm sick. Uh, Parks and Rec. Um, you know, I, I was actually, I had this conversation this morning with the person I work for. Yes. I said, damn, I feel like I'm back to the beginning parts of my investing. I said, 
I don't know why. So I'm, I'm turning one of my units right now. Yeah. And it used to, I, I ended up in an A, yeah. right? I mean, unless I had like big uh, clean out or something like that. But I was like, man, I used to be able to get this done today. And then I realized, like, I worked from 3 a.m. to 1 p.m. Then worked from 1 until 10 o'clock at night or 9 yeah. o'clock at night. Like, and so, like, last night, I finished my job at 5, was there by 5.30. And then Emerson and Courtney, like, left. We had to leave at 9.30. And it was like, oh, I really only put, like, a half day in. Yeah. And I got the one room painted mm-hmm. and the hallway. And, like, she cleaned some walls and stuff. But, like, I didn't, I didn't devote a full, like, day to it. So that's why I was like... All right, I guess if I look at it, it's only one more day and I'll be done. So it's just, it's hard to to do two things at once, man. Plus I have, you know, a couple flips going. And so like getting supplies for that and doing all that stuff while devoting myself to my job, completely different. Well, you know, when the we... other thing is, it's, it's hard to um, not, it's, 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 I feel like you're always either declining or growing. So if you're, if you ignore your property management company, because you get to a point where you're, you feel like you're fine. If anything, that's going to decline from there. Like you don't stay where you're at. I mean, just like if you like you buy a property with inflation where it's at, it decreases in value. It didn't stay exactly where it's at. So that that's kind of a big thing too. The the other thing that I think that comes up a lot of people too as well is what is your time worth? Because for me, like I tell people in general, like and this is a, a general metric. It might change because of inflation, but. an hour is kind of what I tell people. I'm like, are you making $40 an hour or less? And they're like, and they're like, yes. I'm like, well, if you're making $40 an hour less, then I do think it makes sense for you to self-manage. But if you're making $500 an hour, then there's no way you should be self-managing because you don't, you shouldn't be going to a house to basically flip a breaker. That's not worth your time at that point in time. So ideally the goal is you make your time worth so much money that is, even though property management is expensive or more expensive than you like, it's not even a question of whether you do it or not because it just makes more sense than you doing it yourself. Yeah, I, say, I mean, it, I think it's it's easier said than done, especially if you start out this way. I mean, I assume you didn't just transition out of it and go, hey, I'm just done and here we go. Um, you know, you, you, you built and then started a property management company and then decided, all right, hey, I'm going to go back to growth and then the growth happens. Um, know i'm i'm at that exact point where all right i'm i'm hiring out i mean this flip i guess i'm the material buyer right like yeah which sounds really weird i mean i'm i'm trashing the place out but like uh all i've done so far is like bring my material into the house like i went down to the store and said hey i'm buying the siding buying the roof like i picked up the color i did you know whatever i was like i just swiped the card had it all delivered did all this like i'm not physically doing anything i have a crew to do that and i'm loving it um, I do miss being hands-on, <laughs> don't get me wrong, but it also helps that I'm doing my own turn right now. And while I'm doing that, I'm going, God, I fucking hate painting. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a pain to paint. Um, I didn't realize how much I hated it. I've never found anybody that likes it. My mother-in-law does. Oh, really? I got yeah, shit she can paint. Send her paint. over. So. See what? My wife likes painting. I guess it just depends. I mean, if we're really stressing, hey, I got to get this done again on the market, she wouldn't. But if it's just like. Hey, our old house, let's paint this bathroom. She actually kind of finds it soothing. She just, I, I'll take the kids to the park while she paints and she puts on music. Oh, I can't. I no, can't, thanks. I can't do it. Um, I mean, I can do it. I'm doing it, but. So, now, storage facilities. Um, you're, you're part owner, you're owner of some. And how did you start investing out of state versus being like local to something that you can drive to? 
because like my philosophy is like if I don't want to drive to it or can't drive to it I won't own it yeah so so basically almost almost everything not all of it but almost everything I have out of state I'm not the general partner or I'm not the one operating it so you know like I'll use I use a really good example but like uh, I looked at a deal like in Baldwin Michigan and for those of you that uh, don't know, um, census data includes the prison population. And so when I looked up the population, I was like, oh, they, these are decent metrics. But then when I looked at the prison population and how much of it or the, the uh, representative of the city, I was like, well, these people obviously aren't going to be getting the storage unit. So I'm obviously not going to be like, you know, I got to count that out. And so my, my demand now is significantly lower. So things like that, like that's an unfair advantage I have because I know these things in the I like my backyard. Or like for example, I have uh, well, we were we were or I think we're down to like number nine or ten now. But at one point, it was the third largest self storage facility in Michigan, and it's in a, a south of Traverse City in a market that if you look it up, it's only got like eight hundred like people that live there. But then if you look at the real population, I, I guarantee you there's 2,000 people on the five lakes around it alone that, you know, like uh, in the summer at each lake. So it's, it's not a fair assessment of that area because I know that most of the people that live here will basically leave their toys up there. They're not going to take their boat all the way back to Grand Rapids. They're not going to take their like, um, you know, lake trampoline and all their toys. What they're going to do is they're going to find a place for their boat. They're going to store their toys. And so like my average tenant up there actually has three units, so one for their RV, one for the other toys and one for just their general house of goods. And that's, and then you store it there. And so from that standpoint, demand looks like it's uh, it's much higher than what the population represents. Whereas like, you know, if I were to go to a new market, like I like Atlanta, I've been there a ton of times, but I still don't know it like somebody that lives there. So the people I, I know that operate there, they either have significant, significant holdings there or they live there. So they have an unfair advantage. So really what I'm using is I'm using my money to help them leverage their unfair advantage. And so that's kind of my philosophy. So most of what I have outside the state is passive. I'm not going to tell, like, if I invested in your deal and, and you are the uh, the operator of the deal, I'm not going to go back and later on tell you, hey, I think we should do this. What's the point of me operating in your deal or telling you how to operate your deal when I invested in it? I might as well be a partner then and operate jointly with you. Or I, I, I want one role or the other. I don't want to do both. If I do everything, then we're just equal partners, right? So... Uh, so I have equal partners in Michigan, but I want to do that out of state. So that, that's kind of my philosophy as far as is that I know a lot of people say, well, you can't do that. You got to get boots on the ground. But, um, you know, th that is a metric. But ultimately, I feel like it's it's still difficult to invest. Uh, you can't invest in every market. If you do invest internet, like nationally, like for me, I, I still have markets that I will invest in. So even though like I do have best out of state. I don't want to invest in any market out of state. I want to have at least a general understanding. I want to have really, really strong trust. So Texas, I have a lot of family in Texas. So I'm naturally there all the time. It makes it for an easy write-off to do some business on the way. So I have a lot of holdings in Texas. Florida, I'm there twice a year for Disney or whatever. North Carolina, Virginia are other areas I'm looking at that quite not invested in. And then Phoenix, I have really strong boots on the ground from friends there. And, and I don't mind visiting that area too as well. So I'm kind of, you know, using three metrics. I, I want I like visiting there. I would consider living there or moving down the road. So it might make an easy transition. So if I lived in, you know, if I wanted to move to Florida in five years, well, then let's get some real estate down there so I can, you know, write off my trips while I'm down there doing some business along the way. So uh, so that's kind of how I delineate those because I, I personally agree with you that it is hard. It's not impossible. It just It's just not within the model I want to work with. And I don't want to have to, 
I don't want to put all the hours in to learn a whole new market. Yes. I'd rather just put give somebody else my money and say, Hey, grow my money. If you, if you, if you grow my money, then you get more of it. If you don't, then basically you're going to get hate mail from me. And then I'll probably just, you know, move on. So. Right. Um, now let's say, what does it take to be a partner with you? I guess. Um, so I mean, a you and I have never partnered on anything. Or, What's that? You, you mean like a passive investor partner, or you mean like a, like a limited partner, or you mean like an actual general partner, like actually like joint venture? Congrats, you both oh, three questions. So now I don't have three answers. <laughs> so okay, so um, uh, while we can accept uh, minimal, well, we well in theory we would accept a minimal investment of fifty thousand dollars, and they can be sophisticated. Um, the majority of our investors have to put in a hundred thousand dollars and uh, be an accredited investor um, uh, for for our deal. So that that's kind of on that structure. Um, be honest, um, like our, our last self storage facility offering, um, we presented it to uh, we presented it to uh, fifteen people, and all fifteen people invested. We didn't present it to anyone else beyond that. Um, so um, our offerings go that fast. And be honest, a lot of my investors are kind of actually telling me like, hey don't be so conservative of finding something to invest in. So it's kind of weird that I have investors telling me to be like more aggressive with their money, even though I, I, I personally am not that way. Um, as far as basically the GP side um, and um, so I, I recently was with the private equity group um, and we were basically discussing my compensation when I joined the equity group. Um, I ended up leaving that group for a number of reasons, partly because I just wanted to make sure that I was completely there for my dad. But I was very clear about what I value each position in the company. And so basically I said, Giannis, most people don't feel this way, but the person bringing the money that's raising funds from investors, to be honest, I think that's easy. I can do that. I have no lot who can do that. So I only, I, if I were to value my company, I maybe give somebody 10% of my company just to do that role. The person actually finding the deal, sourcing it off market, I, that's the line share of the deal. That and also underwriting the deal. Those are my two big things. Whoever knows how has the knowledge, uh, and, and to do that, I would give basically 60% of my company to do something like that because that's how I value them personally. Now, I, I've, I, I've been with companies before or, or people where they have no access to money. They have plenty of access to basically off-market deals. And so they have more value for the money because it's what they want to have. And so what I try to do is I try to find balances where I can meet that person's needs and, and we can both come to agreement on where we're at. So if you if you think that if you have high value, for raising money, that's what I'm going to do, then great. We're probably going to align because I want lots of equity, right? But if you basically don't have high value for raising money, and I see like, well, you don't have the capability, then obviously we're not going to make good partners because we don't value what each other does for the company properly, right? The other thing I see a lot, I see this happen way too often. People bring partners into a deal that are going to do the exact same thing as them. Like I had a deal where they basically brought um, three uh, licensed builders on the deal and I, we're not going to have three guys basically doing this deal only one of these guys are doing it so why are we having three guys basically watering down everybody's equity to do that and, and, and if really then they're like, oh well they're bringing equity well they're bringing equity then I, that's what we're doing the investors for so then so 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 i really try to make sure that each person has a distinct role and we're not repeating that role because i don't like to give up equity like for me I, i've long said this that i rather have you know, 100% of $10 million than basically 10% of $100 million. Um, you know, which, I mean, I don't, obviously I can't brag and say, hey, I have 5,000 units, but I can say I own 100% of 100 units, which is still worth a lot of money. So 
Uh, so I, I'm, I'm not big on, you know, I, I like, you know, uh, having, having to say I have these big numbers. I, I really don't care about that. Really what I care about is basically how much time I spend on my family and my health and how much really I'm actually going into my pocket. So, so for, for that reason too, as well, I also don't have to do a lot of deals. Like with this private equity group, we were doing like five deals a month, you know, like 15, $20 million. And it's kind of like, you know, I could just do like three deals, you know, five to $6 million a piece. But if I have 25 or 50% equity, you know, that that's worth my time. Right. I mean, I, I'm making a million to $3 million a deal versus making $300,000 because they got 3% of this deal. So. Sure. And I think that's one thing that you and I both are on the same page of is, you know, like ever since you've known me, I've, I've been very much more about my family than I have about my business in a sense, like have a business, it grows. Uh, and, and people go, Oh, we don't do more. It's because I like I'd rather be with my family. I'd rather enjoy my time with my family. And okay, right now I'm I'm actually killing it. I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, but it's because it kind of fell into my lap in a sense of like I have a contractor that I trust. They kick ass. Like, I don't have to babysit. Like, you know as much as I do. Finding a contractor, but they walk off or do whatever, and then you have to find the next one. Like, it's been very fortunate that like this right here is just is just going the way it's supposed to. Um, how can we don't keep any more holds and it's like eh, i don't know like because i've for some reason found deals that i can make that are that are going to be good flips right like, the only reason i'm doing it but i always buy them to where my other exit strategy is that i can hold them so i still won't do flips in areas that i won't invest in so and, and i think that's awesome like because it's hard to find people that you know you and i both know investors that i mean that's all they do is their business they're you know they never see their family no yeah, I mean, I when I I was interviewing for a number of private equity groups because you know I, I like there there is a vanity component. Like, I mean, like I, I will not, I will not lie that I I own uh, a very nice and I mean honestly maybe not very nice, but I own a nice industrial complex and and uh, and uh, Grand Rapids in a very high traffic area. And I'm not gonna lie, I I enjoy basically driving by it with my kids when I take them to soccer practice. Like, hey, we own that. Like, you know, like. I, I, so, so from that standpoint, like I, I, there is a vanity component. So, I mean, I do like, you know, like, at, you know, saying like, Hey, I own the third largest self-storage facility, you know? So there is a ring to that. Just like, you know, I used to be very low key about like, you know, saying, Hey, I'm a millionaire, but then it's got to the point where I'm like, listen, like, I, I don't want to feel ashamed of my accomplishments. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying, hi, my name is Charles Guy. I'm a millionaire, but if somebody basically talks about like, you know, like, you know, like, oh, well, what, why do you think that this is the best way to go? I'm like, you know, just from my experience, you know, I, I've been successful. I've made millions of dollars in real estate. This is why, you know, I said, you know, like, I, I, I'm not afraid to say that at that point, you know, but now obviously there's a certain attitude that sometimes can come to perceive with being successful. So there's a humbleness you have to maintain. But, uh, you know, I, I just, um, you know, people are worried too much about what other people are doing too often. And, and really automatically, it, it does not matter at all. I mean, like uh, my, my wife and I uh, went through a really tough stretch where I thought we might get a divorce. And I can tell you that was a significant changer for me because I was like, man, I'm so close to hitting all these financial goals I have. But then if I get there without my rocks, what the hell is the point, right? I mean, like, well, well why are we even doing it at that point? And I, I think a lot of people had that, that moment where we're seeing more entrepreneurs into the market in the middle of COVID or coming out of COVID and ever. And that, that's why I get you more scared. But I think what happened is people realized like, wow, you know, I could die from some disease or whether you believe it or not, or whether, or I could basically like a number of things could happen. Like, you know, 
And then I think really people are really things about, you know, what am I, what's the next step? It's kind of like everybody was having a midlife crisis or a health scare at the same time. And so you're, you're seeing that now and more people are, are chasing their dreams. You know, one of my favorite movies is uh, Up in the Air. And uh, he basically, uh, you guys know that movie with George Clooney? Uh, I don't think I've seen it. It's about this guy that basically he got a traveling job where he literally is traveling like 361 days a year. He's got like a million miles or some, some crazy amount. And what he does is he, people hire him to go around the company to lay people off. And he basically goes in there and like lays 300 people off like in a private conference one by one, but tries to make it seem as humane as possible. And there, there's one scene in there where the guy's basically, he's talking to him. And he's like, hey, how much do they pay you? And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, how much do they pay you to give up your dream? And the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, you have a French culinary minor, but your first job was in supply chain management. I'm pretty confident that's not what you wanted to do. And then the guy's like, $27,000. That's how much it was to give up my dream. You know, and and I, I think, you know, you can apply it to like to athletes. We don't admire adults. Like our kids, they don't admire athletes because they make millions of dollars or they're, you know, they got a babe or a girlfriend. They, they really admire them more because they chase their dreams. They, 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 they basically took beyond all odds, they succeeded and, and where nobody else could. That's really, you and I might obviously admire them because of that, but that's not how our kids perceive it. So I, I just, you know, people are so concerned about what are people doing. It's just like, it, it doesn't matter ultimately, you know, like I, I don't need to be a billionaire to be happy. Will a billion dollars make me happier? Maybe, uh, you know, like, uh, because I, but uh, it wouldn't be because I can make that money because of what I do for, with other, for other, others with the philanthropy I can do. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that you had said. So one, MIT did a big study and it talks about uh, money and happiness. And I think it's uh, $70,000. Um, once you make $70,000 a year, they don't find that anybody's any happier, no matter how high the amount of money is versus the person that, you know, like if you make less than 70,000, the more you make to get to that, you're, you're kind of happier as you make the money. Um, and when you talk about telling people like money aspects, very hard because I don't, I mean, I don't tell too many of my friends, my family aspect of things of like what I have, what I own, how much I'm worth. I mean, yeah, but like when I get around investors, it, I just assume everybody's at this level now. And like, you know, you can, you know, you go to, you go to meetups or, or you used to and uh, say, um, you know, you get the guys that feel you out, right? Hey, how many units do you own? How many of this? Like, I mean, like, don't judge me on that. Like, judge me on my successes and, and what I've done that. You know, as you said, you can say, hey, I own a thousand units and you own 1% of a thousand units, right? Where if I own 10 and they're all successful, that's great. So um, I find it just sharing, you know, hey, I'm a millionaire. Like, no, I'm just letting you know I've done this damn job. Like, I'm good at it. Yeah. Well, that's part of the thing, too. I mean, when you, when you know you're good at something, you don't necessarily have to go brag about what you're good at. You know, I... You and I found success in, in many different things. And we don't run around going, oh, I'm the best coach in the world. Or I'm the best. No, you don't. I'm the best bowler in Grand Rapids or whatever. I mean, you know. Well, it's very, like, I mean, everybody, I mean, Charlie even, Charlie's like the biggest dick I know. Like, we go out bowling, right? And I shoot like a 279. It's a really respectable game, yeah. right? He's just like, oh, cool. It's like, dude. I shot like 279. Like, you've been begging me to bowl. I shoot my lights out and you just go, yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> like, come on, man. Well, you bowl, you bowl that all the time. So, 
I don't know. Like, I mean, people, that's the problem is like perception, right? People yeah. think they bowl all the time, which I mean, it's different because like, sure, if I'm posting every other week that I'm shooting that, people think that's all the time. But to me, it's like, it's every week, right? Where I should, you know, I should be doing it all the time on a constant basis, 100%. Yeah, so. I've gotten a few text messages from you with your score and you're like, fuck this, this <laughs> bullshit. I'm never doing this again. Right? Um, you know, but you know, I, I shot really, really high and really, really low, and uh, you know, it, it's different to me. Just because we're on the bowling subject. Yeah. Steve took me bowling once. Nice. I shot a thirty-nine. And my wife's favorite story is like one of our first dates. We go bowling, and I, I said, "Where, where are your bowling shoes?" Like I don't have any. And I was like, "Who doesn't have bowling shoes?" Because like that's all I knew was bowling people. And then she bowled like really crappy. I was like, I didn't know people could bowl that bad. <laughs> like, we're, we'll be celebrating 12 years yeah. on Sunday, so good for us. Um, you know, I I think that your business now with your business, you've how do you scale? I guess like what what do you what do you do to scale? How are you growing your business to be the next big thing? And I'll follow that up with while you're scared, what's your what's your end goal that you're trying to catch? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, scaling is really all about basically, I mean, putting systems in place or getting, um, you know, and it's either doing more or basically being more efficient. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You do more or you're more efficient. Um, for me, uh, how I basically become more efficient is I basically say no a lot more. So, like, I, crazy enough, but. I turn away so many clients from the brokerage side, like on a weekly basis all the time. And the more I say no, the more people want to be my clients. I have people that actually will like say, well, what do I need to do to build up to be your client? Um, but then it allows me to just focus on basically servicing my clients. So it's kind of going back to the 80-20 rule. I just focus on what the, my core businesses are. Like I have a ton, a ton of businesses that don't make me a lot of money could make me a lot of money if I put more time into it, but I just don't want to do it. So like I have a feasibility study business. So we do feasibility studies for self-storage facility owners. Um, it's, it's basically 80% profit for me. Uh, if I really wanted to turn and make it a $200,000, $304,000 business, I probably could. But I just don't want to put all the time to, to put that system in. Because I know once you get that going, now you also have to maintain it as well, or else you're going to lose it. But the other thing about it as well is that really the only main reason I have it it's because it's one more thing to add to my resume. Um, and so, you know, the bank says, hey, why is uh, why why should we trust your feasibility study? I'm like, well, I've done hundreds of them. I've done it for, you know, the, this state SSA. I've done it for some of the biggest clients in the, in the industry. So it's kind of basically, if they trust me, you should trust me. You know, I have a real estate school where I'm an instructor. And so in a way, I basically created a school to show that, hey, I'm, I'm smart enough to teach people whether that's true or not. You know, so I have all these businesses that, are really just more helping build a brand or build a complete business, but I'm not trying to grow them. I'm really just focused on the most powerful business I have, which right now, by by return on time, self storage facilities by far the most profitable return on time for me. As far as uh, total income right now, um, our brokerage side uh, the, is is growing. Last year we did 26 million. Um, you were we're crushing it there, but I'm only trying to do it 10 hours a week. So like this year, you know, my goal for my brokerage was. Let's do, you know, 30 million, but let's try to do it with only five hours a week of work instead, which has been tough. You know, my, one of my biggest struggles is th- at the beginning of this year, I'm in a mastermind and I said, I set a goal that I wanted to afford 15 hours a week, 
and I wanted to do $100 million in acquisitions. And basically, very quickly, I was like, something's got to give. These goals are obviously exact opposite from each other. Like, I don't think I can be that efficient. So essentially, I had made a decision. And so I chose to basically, you know what, I, I want to, I'm going to keep my goal at 20 hours instead of 15, but I'm going to basically cut my goal in half. So I'm going to try to go after $50 million of acquisitions this year. And so that was a tough bill to make, but, you know, my wife was part of the goal setting process. She agreed to it. To be honest, when I look back at it, I don't even know, I'm kind of surprised she didn't even say, like, are you sure you can do this? Um, <laughs> I, you know, like, like, you know, I, I think she's, like, she's always been good about, like, you know, um, I believe that you can do it. I can do it. You can do it. You know, like you can do it. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, I would like to see if you have concerns about it, you know, but um, so, so as far as scaling, you know, I would say that that was the biggest thing that allowed me to scale is just say no. And as far as systems in place, it's basically, uh, and this surprised a lot of people, but the fanciest thing that I could have done is basically is work on staff retention. So, you know, obviously Jeremiah, my assistant, but uh, you another yeah, one of my very good friends. Yeah, so I do a really good job of incentivizing my staff. You know, like uh, I can't remember how much I pay him, but uh, basically, I, I, I you know they get birthday meals, so I'll, I'll spend basically two hundred bucks for them to go out and take their spouse out or their family for a meal. You know, I, I reward them exactly how they want to be rewarded. So, like with Jeremiah, when I ask him, you know, how do you want to be rewarded? Uh, it's like, well, do you want more money? Do you want more recognition? Do you want me to send you to a convention where you can learn more? Do you want vacation? And I can flat out tell you that every time it's, it's, it answers vacation, he, he, he always wants more vacation, which I'm fine with it. It's like, if you're going to, if you're willing to work hard enough to earn that vacation and your, and your production doesn't fall off, you know, I'm totally fine with it. So, and, and now, now when other people go through, it's the kind of like, well, Hey, Charlie's giving me five weeks vacation. I know you can give me a $20,000 raise, but keeping me five vacation. And then no, no offense to like four to 500 copies, but I, I think they got it wrong, but. I think the author think that somebody want, who has wants a lot of vacations lazier that you don't want to work as much is no, I just want to enjoy it. Like, you know, like I worked for a Fortune 500 company that did the exact same thing. I can tell you that every time I always just love vacation. They could have given me way more money. I would have always taken more vacation because I worked so hard to earn that vacation, to earn that time that, you know, I, I always felt that I worked hard to get that vacation. So, you know, so by, by having systems in play, the most important thing I could have done for my systems is making sure the people who can implement those systems are still working for me rather than constantly training a new person to bring it in. You know, McDonald's obviously has a great system that they got minimum wage kids basically running a million dollar business, you know, but there's still a lot of turnover and cost there. My, my, my thing is basically is right. We focus on retention. I can basically have continuity. So I don't have to worry about constantly training staff to basically run my, run my monster for me essentially. Sure. So I got to ask this because I work for a very large company in the area. Yeah. Charlie, have you ever bought your employees a fidget spinner and tried to spin that off as a good gift? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Um, Shit you not. And off the air, I'll tell you who. I uh, I do not. Uh, I don't buy stuff for my employees. I, I let them uh, incentivize. The, the only thing that I've been a little bit big with my employees on is we try to promote a healthy lifestyle. So uh, we offer them a reimbursement on their gym membership if they have a certain amount of business per month. Um, so that might be, you know, if, I, if you ask them, hey, would you rather have like $100 for your cell phone? That's probably the only thing that I don't. Everything in terms of incentivization is strictly out of their mouth. Um, if, they, if they want more vacation, if they want a year supply of popsicles, I'll, I'll freaking do it. I, I don't care. You know, if you, if you want me to... Uh, 
incentivize that. Like, so for even like, for example, like uh, when I was having a conversation with one of my employees, we talked about basically like they had an issue with um, qualifying because of debt to income. And so I said, okay, so, you know, we can sw- switch it up, but like I, we have all these bells and whistles, like your cell phone's paid for, you got dinner with your family paid for. I can do that in the form of W-2 income to you. So instead of giving you $3,000 in bonuses that aren't being taxed because they're, they're reimbursements or essentially whatever, um, I can basically give it to you as W-2 income, but then you're going to be taxed on it, but then it's going to allow you to have better chance of getting approved for a higher mortgage. So, so even on those things like that, it's like we take the time to really customize our incentive plan to how they want to do about it because they, they not, now they know both ends of it. If I can incentivize them with equity, I can, but everything is focused on basically retention and making sure that they feel respected because people will not leave if they ever feel respected. I work for a company that I, I got offered a 50% raise to go to another company and I stayed. I can tell you, I was never good at employee retention. Somebody gave me a 10% raise, I guarantee you I was leaving. I had no loyalty to anybody except my, 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 my wallet. So, so the... That cracks me up if you say that. That'd be something that we would have like on our Monday morning calls as a joke. Um, you know, I could even use examples where I've heard of um, toxic work situations where I've talked to my staff and be like, listen, I can't believe this has gotten that worse there. I, I want to make sure that, you know, we use this as an example. And also because it's third party, we're not talking about us, so it's not emotional. I, looking at this as a third party, how can we make sure we avoid this? You know, how can we avoid that these basic people don't feel like they're not respected, that they're not? So, so those are the kind of things that, like, I, I think that will really separate us as a company. We're not trying to be the biggest company. You know, I, I'm not trying to focus on a winning culture because all I hear right here, winning culture is I want you to work longer hours than everybody else. If my competitors make 250 million, I don't care if I make 240 million. They could, they could win. They could be number one the rest of my life. I could care less. I got what I want. That's all I'm focused on. Yeah. Well, see, and I know even here, you know, we work really hard to pay a good wage. And, and again, Dawn asks, what do you want? And we try to tailor things in those ways. Oh, that's, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't have set employees on a constant basis, but I, I'm like you, where uh, my, my contractor, my contractor just the other day. He's like, hey, I got to leave Tuesday, I, you know, Tuesday night, I won't be here Wednesday, I'll be back Thursday, yeah, I, I don't care, you have to go take care of your life, like, go do it, right, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not upset about it, okay, hey, you know, they had the contract, like, the other kid, the other kid was on the roof, right, he's like, oh, you didn't bring lunch, I was like, here it is, like, 5.30 at night, if you wanted pizza, all you have to do is ask me, and yeah. I would have totally thrown down on pizza, crack, like, when say when they come over to do my flooring, right? And a case of beer sitting on the case of flooring that's sitting there. And I said, All right, boys, have fun, right? Like I know everybody's like, oh, pizza party isn't gonna do it and stuff like that. Most of my people are motivated by that like beer and pizza, but they're also getting a paycheck with their happiness. Well, and that's the difference. You can sit there and say a pizza party doesn't work, right? But if they're already fairly compensated and you're just throwing a little something extra at them. They're going to be happy with that. I mean, you know, we're always busy in February here and Valentine's day for whatever reason is the biggest weekend of the year. here. It is. And it's not people that are pissed off about not being in relationships. It's date night. 
Yeah. 90% date night. And Dawn will do a potluck for that weekend because, you know, we're going to have most of the staff here. We're going to be working hard all day. And she wants to make sure that they're taken care of. So there'll be a bunch of food up here. And you just, when you need to take a break, go get some food. Yeah. I mean, right. Like now that we're talking about it, I'm probably going to run out and grab a case of Coke and Gatorade because every time I walk in there, I always drink Coke and Gatorade. <laughs> like, so, um, you know, it takes that, it takes that like look and, and again, you have to know who these people are. Like, I, I don't know. You're in storage. You don't have to know who your tenants are, right? Like, I mean, you probably couldn't name 50 of them, right? All of my tenants that I manage for my units, I know them. I know their names. I know things about them, which isn't, you know, people say that's good and bad, right? Like you're getting too personable. You're, you're not doing business. But like when I do it for a business, I couldn't tell you about 50 of them. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. It, it's, you know, oh, hey, man. Right. Hey, how's it going? Like, I, I don't know you <laughs> at all, but um, no, no, it's like, you know, Jeremiah and I, we are, we're, we're good friends. And uh, he, he always goes, oh man, probably yeah. goes, hey, you want this or do you want vacation? He goes, I always take vacation. <laughs> he goes, I, I, I'm hoping he goes to Moab here soon. So, um, well, the one thing you can't get back, you can't get back your time. Or, or memories, right? Yep. I mean, that's a big key. So. Um, what is your next adventure that you're working on? Um, and I guess you didn't also answer the end goal. So I want to get back to that. What, what are you doing this for? Yeah. So end goal wise, I mean, I pretty much had kind of hit a lot of my, my end goals. So obviously maintaining that, um, you know, obviously I, I got, uh, the, the biggest obstacle I have right now is, you know, um, unfortunately my dog his health is not very good she's she's pooping inside the house she's 17 years old and uh i'm probably gonna have to make the decision to put her to sleep something relatively soon especially with my dad's needs because my dad's coming back from assisted living facility so um so maintaining that work-life balance but um you know for the most part i, I kind of hit my end goal when you asked me like my lifestyle i um you know talk about my values I value my health, basically my family. So the, the, how do I do that? Well, every day I'm the one dropping my kids off at work. It's very rare. I don't drop them off at work. It's very rare. I'm not the one to pick them up. And my work schedule is around it. We talked about companies that talk about winning culture. I remember I talked to a guy that kept talking about like all these things he has to do with his family to like spend time with them. And I was like, I don't think that's a winning culture that, that we were talking about. I think that's a competitive culture. But on top of that, I still think you're prioritizing your work because you're doing all these work things, but then you have to do all these links to basically spend time with your family. Whereas for me, as soon as I got my kids at work, my next thing I prioritize is my health. So where do I go? I go to the gym. And then basically after that, then I basically focus on my spiritual stuff, you know, whatnot. And then my work schedule doesn't start till 11 or 12 o'clock in the afternoon. So that that's real alignment of values. My work is the third or fourth, you know, pertinent thing because it gives me purpose, but it's the third or fourth most pertinent thing in the day. So I do have the third or fourth thing I do in the day overall. 12 to 3, I work. 11 to 3, I work. 3 o'clock, I pick up the kids, and it's solely devotion to them from 3 until, like, 7, carting them off to whatever, you know, sport or whatever they're doing. The next 50 sports, yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah, just a nonstop taxi cab driver. And then 7 o'clock, you know, in between, I'll, I'll grab emails and things like that, too, as well. So as far as the game goal, though, um, I do have just personal goals. Like I just, I, right now I'm doing real estate because I, I think one of my fear and fear advantages is because I feel like I was put on this world. When I do real estate, I feel like I'm in my purpose, you know? Now I, there was times that I didn't feel that way. And that's why I took a step back from it. 
you know, like I feel like right now philanthropy has been uh, a bigger call for me. So, you know, not to do a shameless plug, but um, I'm probably going to be doing a mastermind in the fall. 30 people, $1,000, roughly 80 to 82 cents on the dollar will go towards 100% towards charity. I'm not taking any money from it. All the money that will be spent will be because there's a cost of running it. We have somebody donate food. We even have somebody donate the venue as well. So, so that's something that it's, I'm not looking at as a factor of basically what is return on time? What if you turn on money? It's basically kind of just what fills my soul. So, so that, and then also kind of just figuring out like, you know, and goal wise that as I evolve over, over my, uh, or my uh, over time, I, uh, you know, finding what basically keeps me motivated because we talked about like, you know, the same things that you did before are not going to keep you motivated doing it down the road. So I'm, I'm always looking for that more challenge. So that's really kind of what the end game is, is to always feel like I'm challenged because when I don't feel like challenged, I, you know, I'll watch Netflix until two in the morning, you know, like I'll eat bad, you know, and I, I don't feel great when I do that. So that's kind of, it's an open-ended end game. But um, ultimately, if you asked me 25, 30 years ago, if I met my goals, I actually, I pretty much met them. So now it's just kind of finding new challenges and then, and then moving forward from there. Well, that's one thing. I mean, you, you and I, man, we, we are a lot more alike than we both care to admit. Um, you know, when I, when I first met Charlie, we were at a, a B-dubs, and uh, he had just done a, a podcast on a really rich and famous uh, podcast, you know, not a Bucks and Brews. And uh, I had heard his story, and I did uh, Joe Fairless, you know. Um, so I'm talking to Charlie, and he's like, oh, hey, I'm this, and this is, you know, this is kind of what I do. And he he goes in and he's like, hey, I, I take these families in, kind of refugees and make them work. And I was like, oh man, like this is a guy that I relate, like this is why I love talking to this guy, right? Like it was great. And then, uh, you know, he's like, hey, I have a family and I me too. And like our friendship grew because we were both very family focused. Um, and I, I think that's awesome. You know, you know me, I don't, <laughs> I don't hang out with too many people that I don't want to, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I say, now, do you expect your kids to take over your business? No, uh, I think uh, coming from Asian culture, I think it's very common that a lot of Asians want their kids to be doctors, you know, and like entrepreneurs go to college. Um, my wife and actually my family was, is definitely not traditional Asian. Um, if my kids told me they didn't want to go to school, then I wouldn't have a problem with that. I mean, obviously we all know, or maybe we don't all know, but you can make a lot more money in trades a lot faster than right now. Uh, really what I want to, and I, and I, 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 I say this because, um, my wife and I and Cass and I, we've had some significant conversations that like, what if one of our kids was an Olympic level athlete? How do we want to, uh, and, and our other kids don't have that passion. How do we want to balance that? Do we want to like go, I mean, like, cause I, I have a friend that has a, 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 a kid that's a legitimate Olympic level athlete. And they're kind of telling me all they do. Like it takes over their life to the point where they almost have imbalance of taking the other care of the other kids. So I, I just want them to basically enjoy whatever they do. I want them to have fun. I want them to find hobbies. So when I'm putting them in sports, I'm not putting them in sports to try to give them a scholarship or whatever or whatnot, because I don't even think they're going to make money after how much money we put in these sports after they get a scholarship. I just want them to have something like, I want you to have a sport or activity that you can enjoy the rest of your life, that you legitimately enjoy doing it. That's really all our focus is. So I, uh, now I will say my daughter talks about wanting to be an artist and I'm not going to lie. That's probably one of the few, few occupations I don't want her to go into because yep. I don't want to be paying her mortgage for the rest of her life. 
not to, not to bad off any artists out there, but very difficult to make a living out there and very difficult to be famous until after you die or, you know, you're on, you're on, you know, Molly or whatever, you know, I don't know. Right. I, uh, that, that would say that would be kind of a difficult pill for me as well, but in general, I just want them to enjoy whatever they do and find what their purpose is in life. If it's not to take over the business, I, there's definitely some bias to building something that they want to. I think one of them will, but if they, if they choose that they, uh, they don't want to, then I'm all right with that. I, I have the, I will have the business to a point where they can run it. And ideally I think I'll have employees also as well that can sell the business to as well. I, I think that's uh, it's funny because my wife says, "Oh, what if your daughter wants to be an artist?" And I'm like, "She can figure out how to make money by herself." Like, it's not that I won't support her; I'll buy her stuff, but I'm not gonna, you know. I mean, she can live in the basement, but I'm telling her to get a real job. You know? I, I was gonna ask you if you let her live in the basement. It's, it's tough, man. Um, people people ask Don all the time. Doesn't Caitlin want to come work here? And Don's like, "Well, I haven't asked because I mean, I own it. So if she wants to, I figure she'll say, hey, mom.'" Right. Give me a job. Yep. And uh, I say, like, I struggle. You, you kind of hit it on the head. Like, you hit your goals really young. And that's what I found. And that's another excuse of why I haven't grown much faster. Because, like, I hit all my goals. Like, I had enough money to pay my basic bills. I have, you know, I, and then it's like, I have a struggle to get to that next level of, like, what more do I need? Right? Like, all right, now what can I do with that? It's like, we started taking vacations and it's like, holy shit, I love these. Mm -hmm. right? So now like, all right, that's my goal. I want as much time off as I want. And that's how, it took me a long time to realize, like it's written on the board behind us. I'm pointing it, it says like, do whatever I want when I want to. And like, really, I, I just have an end goal of like that. Do whatever I want when I want. Nothing more, nothing less. Well, and again, I mean, I we've had this conversation a lot of times. I'll quit a job if they don't give me the time I ask for. <laughs> I mean, I, and I have no problem telling them that. Hey, I'm going to be off from here to here. No questions asked. Yep. And if you say no, bye. Yep. Oh, man, I was that way through all my, through all my jobs. Um, yeah, art, art to me is, is a very hard one, too. So yeah, that's hard. Find that fun. Um, now, with, with your philanthropy, um, I know that, you and your wife, I, I don't remember the months, so don't quote me. It was like month of December, like whatever you guys sold, you were giving all of your commissions away. Maybe it was yeah. October through December. Yeah, that, uh, that was a pretty, uh, it was a great month as far as philanthropy. I will say it was painful to write some of the checks out, just be flat honest. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, yeah, we donated a lot of money. Yeah, it actually was uh, one of the busiest months I've ever had, period. So normally December, I'll be honest, I'll flat out never do it again because um, normally <laughs> we take a lot of vacation in December and it was really difficult to not work during vacation. But essentially, we, uh, we donated our entire commission. So anything that pended from November 18th until like December 18th or whatever, like a full month. And it was, as long as it closed by January the following year, because I mean, some of my commercial deals, I got to work them four to six months. So I was like, I, I'm not going to give up a, a $70,000 commission. I got to work months to get it. If it's like a smaller deal that can close fast, I'll be fine. Which luckily, we, honestly, we actually did bend the rules a tiny amount on, on two deals because we just wanted to get it out there. But um, yeah, I learned about a lot of great charities that way. And, uh, you know, it was fun writing those checks. But um, that one, though, the only thing I didn't like about that promotion was that it was all cast and I do not work. We didn't require. So I thought about maybe, you know, 
maybe that if you're my client, I'll match, you know, the commission's $10,000. I'll match dollar for dollar up to $10,000, but then I don't want to make them feel like they're guilted into it. So, you know, maybe I'll do a thousand minimum, but if anything above a thousand in between 10,000, so I thought about doing that. But I think what I said when I was going to do the mastermind, because people bug me all the time about like doing speaking engagements, things like that. And I'm not big on that. I mean, I do post to social media, but not like I should. Um, and so that, I think that's a great way to contribute. And especially because on top of that, um, you know, the, what we can teach to people, like, I do think it's easy worth a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars an hour. And if somebody really wants to come back and complain and say, Hey, like, you know, this is too expensive. I'm like, really, you know, you're going to go cheap on charity. I'm like, you know, to be honest, you're not the type of person we want here because, um, my, my, uh, my, uh, mastermind, I'm in a couple masterminds, but the one in particular, I like, you know, there, there's five pillars. One of them is philanthropy, but I did not really, I joined it for a number of reasons. One, the work-life balance, but I joined it assuming that these are the guys are going to help me 10 X my business. And it actually was the exact opposite because normally when I'm in a room of really successful people, it gives me like a, a jolt of energy to do more, to be more competitive and whatnot. And when I was around these guys, I'm like, dude, I'm around some killers. If I am constantly basically focused on what they are doing or trying to be as good as them or try to grow my business like them, I'm never going to be happy because I'm always going to be comparing myself to somebody else. So to be honest, I was kind of surprised, but it actually allowed me to just be complacent. Like I'm successful. I've done well. I don't need these other things, but I do want to, I do want to do more real estate because I do like looking at deals. I mean, like I, I it's like virtual, it's like monopoly in real life. I, I just like doing the deals. Now I will tell you that I pass up a lot of good deals where I'm just like, that doesn't excite me. Like, I mean, I, I could easily flip a house, make $20,000, $30,000, even though I don't like the tax treatment. I just, flipping houses doesn't really excite me. I don't like dealing with the contractors, you know, because all, you know, a good contractor really makes or kills the deal but then if they're a really good contractor it's hard to keep them because ideally you know i want my contractors to make money and, and i'm not only paying them 25 30 an hour when i know they can make 80 90 an hour i don't want to hold them back on that either too as well so you know so that's why so like you know for me like there's a couple of deals i'm doing that i'm like wow that money is not going to be that great to be honest my investors are going to make way more than money than me but i i, I want to get into new construction apartment complexes you know i haven't done it yet but uh, you know, and that's the price I'm going to have to pay. I'm going to, I'm going to take a discount to kind of break into that. You know, I'm going to lose a lot of time that I can use making other stuff, but I'm motivated by, you know, I, I want to, I want to overcome that. Like it's a, uh, you know, if I can work with a downtown development to build a multifamily high rise, I mean, I think that would be, that would be up there. I have a couple other goals. I want to build an eco-friendly apartment complex. I want to own a movie theater um, with retail shopping around it. I have some big goals that, you know, I'm, I'm slowly chipping it away. Yeah. And those goals, you know, be honest, if I was solely focused on money, I'd probably just go all in on just self storage for these next few years, really build that out. But that that's not what's filling my soul right now is just make lots of money. It's, uh, you know, the challenges are, that's what's, that's what's filling me up. I said the high rise thing. Um, if you want help with it, I, I have a couple friends that that's what they do down in Grand Rapids. Um, generations worth of, worth of things. Um, they don't really get to meetups, and honestly, I met them uh, through a different friend of mine who is not even in real estate. We went to uh, his wedding, and he said specifically, he's like, hey, this kid's in real estate, this guy's in real estate. I put you two at the same table, and then we had to talking, and um, yeah, dude, like, you want to feel like nothing, right? Like, I mean, just, yeah, say, so, um, right, they, they built the, 
the mire down in Grand Rapids, <laughs> you know, so in, in all the apartments above it. Um, I say, I can, I can try to put you in touch with you if you're, in, if you're interested. I mean, <clears throat> so when you're looking at deals, Charlie, how, how do you go about vetting them? Uh, out of state or in state locally? Yes. So basically, am I betting as the passive investor? Am I betting as the as the actual operator? I would say as the actual operator. So, uh, and is this would be a new asset class or asset class that I'm already invested in? Let's say it's a brand new asset class. Okay. So, so you know, the, one of the benefits I've had is that being around my dad, we we've had a variety of business, and so really, what I'm looking for is that, is this a systems business or is this more of a logistics business? So, like, I'll, I'll, for example, like both RV storage can be super, super profitable, but I can't just have anybody in there. I have to have a guy that knows how to basically like, you know, trailer boats and RVs, basically getting in and out of a warehouse. And then also the most difficult about it too as well is that when people park their boats and RVs, they have to um, figure out basically like, uh, like how they're going to staff somebody because it's really just one month of movements, super, super busy, one month of move out. So you got to pay somebody really, really well to work for that time frame. But generally, when I'm really good at one thing like that, they're also really good at a lot of things. So, so from that standpoint, that's what I'm kind of looking at is figure out is it, is it something that I can take my system to come in here, or is it somebody that I can basically figure out the staffing model to basically figure out. So that's the kind of the biggest delineation. The next thing I'm looking at is what is the bottleneck in the business? What is preventing this business from being successful? So, like Nick and I talked about this, but during the crash of COVID, with COVID. There was at one point five bowling alleys on or off the market at one point, and I was trying to buy all five of them because what I, I vision our vision could have been was buy five bowling alleys, get a guy that basically has well connected the community that has a maybe a management background to really bring high level management to these properties to really look at numbers. I mean, I some of these people I, I don't even know if they have like you know, anything beyond a QuickBooks blueprint. They don't have high level metrics for how they analyze this stuff. They have to be on site to basically review metrics. So that's what we wanted to do is because we felt that the bottom like there was that we're not getting data enough that give us the feedback. So like, you know, even like, for example, like demand-based pricing, I've been in markets before where on a Saturday night, the pricing actually goes up like a stock ticker on, 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 on what the wait list is like. So they will actually dwindle their wait list. So if they have our wait list, they jack the prices up and then their wait list comes down to something actually more manageable. So that way they're maximizing their amount of return per hour. So, so those, those are really the two major things. So systems or, or logistics. Then secondly, where's the bottleneck? And then the third one is basically is my value at where I personally kind of want is where's my secret sauce? Where am I bringing this deal that can, I can basically make this more advantageous to somebody else. And so Sometimes I I still get these deals. I mean, you know, I can make ninety thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars, taking into a client that has uh, uh you know uh, their own hidden house building construction management company. So like, if I had a fire damage apartment complex, that's probably not within my wheelhouse to do as effectively as some of my clients. So let's make them a lot of money, and then they'll turn around and list it with me, and make a lot of more money, and then they have more loyalty. So that's how I have clients that I do millions of dollars a year for us because I made them you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars over their lifetime. So this, so that's basically the third step. And then the last uh, step I look at is that if I was an investor on this, even if I'm the only person investing in it myself, or if I'm my investors, how would I pitch this to them from both a fundamental and economic perspective? 
the one thing I absolutely will never, ever break on any of them is that I have to be in markets that are strong. So population has to be, growth has to be good. It can't be flat. Um, there has to, and, and I typically go after um, um, more middle income to higher, uh, higher class. I've done some low income, um, but really at this point in time, I'm just trying to lose money. I'm not trying to chase stuff that on paper looks like good return. So once I do all that, then that really give me a good idea of basically of whether the investment makes sense for myself or my investors. And so, you know, sometimes I'll buy deals that may not look good on paper, but they meet my economic thresholds where I know I won't lose money. That's fine. Other deals I look at, you know, like, like I, I'm looking at, um, I'm trying to think what I can disclose. I'm looking at a business right now where the largest competitor left the market and that largest competitor was actually bigger than the next four biggest competitors involved. So we're looking at, we're trying to replace that, that, uh, that big player that left the market. And so it's like, you know, I don't know a lot about this business. I have some familiar with, with it as well, but I think there's an unfair advantage I have here because I have a ace in the hole that nobody else has and I can leverage that. So, so those are all the kind of things I want to look for. Obviously I want to look for, you know, all the metrics like that everybody else does, but those are the kinds of the distinguishing factors that, my company at Twin Oaks Capital, so we're always looking for a secret sauce. You know, like my like my 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 secret sauce in self storage is that I I seriously build them more efficient than people. I, I'm hoping to be a speaker at ISS next year, uh, specifically to talk about efficiencies in building. But I build them more efficiently than everybody else, and then on top of that, I don't charge my investors. Uh, well, I do, but it, it's minimal. It's like one tenth of what I could be charging. Now I'll charge like $20,000 on a $2.5 million project or a $3 million project. So that really boosts their return. But I also do that because I get more equity. So my secret sauce is really coming down to me. I build it more efficient and also my cost to build because I'm not third party out. I'm like $7 a square foot on each of those categories or those linemen alone. So nobody can build cheaper than me in West Michigan, to be honest. Um, and, and, and also build the quality that we build because there's a lot of people that build cheaply but they don't build cheap and they don't build quality. Um, so, uh, or they're building quality, but then they're third party out to, a, you know, Copper Rock, Honor, these large construction companies. So, so that's kind of the breakdown as far as what distinguishes my company from everybody else's. What's your best advice you can give to somebody um, who wants to get into real estate investing? It's always the same, take action. So, uh, but if you want a more unconventional response, I know a lot of people say take action. Um, and this might rub some people the wrong way, but also I think we'll tell people that kind of how, who try to reach out to me, um, understand what people's time are worth. I, I had a, a mentor a while ago that flat out gave me probably one of the rudest responses. And I was kind of like, that guy is, um, you know, at D back, you know, but he flat out said like Charles, if you message me again one more time to ask me something you could look up on Google, I'm going to start politely ignoring you and I'm not answering messages. And I was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, so you asked me a question that I can Google in five seconds. You might not be able to Google it in five seconds because you don't know how to do that, but you need to work on your Google skills because what's happening then is that you're valuing my time at what your time is worth. So yes, it might take you two hours to basically figure out how to basically find this online somewhere and you're making $80 an hour. Well, problem is that let's say I'm making 5,000 an hour and I can answer that question in five minutes. You've costed me basically five minutes of an $8,000 hour, hour person's time. So I say that to people because people often like, or like, oh, I, I want to help you or whatnot. 
but really they want to help to learn. And the second they've learned what they want, they move on. Like I had a guy wall back that kept bugging me about like, I want to take you out to lunch. I want to get out. I'm like, no dude, I, I don't want to drive a half hour for you to take me a meal. Then I'm sitting there eating a meal with you. And then I get a half hour back and it's like, I can do a lot better things with two hours of time, you know, just call me, you know, like that's fine. And so finally I was like, listen, you know, uh, I, I just kind of threw this out there, but I was, I actually, I think I just talked to you about this, uh, but I was like, Hey, we're going to go bowling. If you want to pay for my family to go bowling and then you can talk with me like in between shots, then go ahead. I mean, it's like what a $60 tab and he totally balked at it. Act like I basically was like, uh, like, I'm like, yes, I was kind of testing him, but it's like, listen, like, I don't want to basically go out of my way because honestly, I try to help a lot of people. And one of my struggles early in my life was I was a guy that was always helping other people. And I get so frustrated because I'm like, I'm like, they don't respect me because and all I do is helping people all the time. And you, you and I have talked about this, but we run a Facebook group with 2,500 members and at one point, 60 to 80 people were messaging me. I'm getting like messages at three o'clock in the morning. I'm getting messages like all across the board for super simple things. And so I had to like be like, I had to decide, like, I can't be just friendly to people because I'm just friendly to people that everybody's just going to walk all over me all the time, thinking that basically I'm there for them to be answer their questions at all times. And so I had, I had made that transition of like, listen, my family's more important. What message am I sending to my kids, to my wife, to those around me that I'm on the phone helping somebody else I've never met before with real estate when I should be prioritizing them? Just like with church, you know, one of my struggles with travel soccer is it's always on Sundays. And so what am I telling my kids? Like, hey, God is a priority for us, but we're going to skip church to go play soccer. So ultimately what we did, we, we switched clubs, you know, like uh, we, we switched clubs because that the club basically told us that we're not going to be playing on Sundays. So, so all, it all kind of goes back to, you know, like, uh, you know, you got, if you prioritize other people's time and people know you really realize their time, like I can tell y'all, you know, Brandon Jonker, I don't know if you listen to this, but that kid always provides more value to me. But like, uh, I'll, I'll post like, Hey, does somebody want to help me move this? Whatever. He's like on the phone immediately. He's like, he's like, he's like spying on me and he never calls me up for help. But I would help that kid anytime because he never does anything uh, specifically just to get something back. Most of these people are like, I'll do this if you do this. And it's like, well, I, I don't want to be basically held. I don't want to be held accountable because you bought me lunch. So I have to basically give you an hour of your time. And, and but ultimately I know he respects my time. You know, I have other clients. Like I have another client that is a first time home buyer trying to buy a house for under $150,000 in Grand Rapids. You on one five or one five Oh, one five zero. We know how effing impossible that is, but he told me a while back, he asked me, you know, Hey, I want to learn how to, you know, do real estate, but this is kind of my plan. What should I do? And I, I responded back to him. I'm like, you need to move back with your parents and you need to pay off your debt. And you need to basically stop going on vacations. And I gave him a bunch of advice that basically said, you need to basically just eat it and basically live like a delayed gratification. And the kid effing did every single one of the things. He moved back on his parents within a month. Like he, you know, got all of his debt paid off. He did everything I said him to. So I'm like, you know what? I know that if I'm looking at a return from time perspective or a commission perspective, I, I'm not making any money. I'm not going to make anything off of a $3,000 commission. But this is exactly the type of person because whenever we work with somebody, we help somebody, no, people want to help each other. They just don't want to waste their time. I mean, how many times does somebody reach out to you for advice and then they, they, they don't ever do call you back again? They don't ever do anything. I don't want to help that kind of person. I want to help somebody that's going to show progress. So this kid, 
I'm like, he listens and he's going to get better. He's going to turn the corner. I, and so I have investors that are like that, where I, I wouldn't normally take them on, but I just like the fact that, you know, they're hustling, they reminding myself. And so of course I'll help somebody like that. But so, so that's another reason why like, you know, somebody's listening to this call. If I'm rude or mean to you, that's, a, that's for a purpose. I'm also testing you to see basically, are you going to just give up and move on? Because if you are, I think you're going to give up and move on for all other things in life too as well. That's just flat out how I, how I look at it. Well, we have that talk a lot of times because people come to us different questions. And I'm thinking of one specifically a few months ago on so-and-so needs to move out. Yeah. And we sat down. Now, mind you, we sat down after an event. We had some drinks and some food. So it didn't really take us out of our way or anything, but nothing we said impacted anything. No. And we were both beyond pissed off. Well, not even just that, just the second time. Yeah. Right? Like the first time we did it. And then the second time I was just, I was really fucking annoyed. Like, and I told you, I was like, quit wasting my time, David. Yeah. Like, it's your friend. I'm okay to help, but I'm, I'm done. Like, yep. I deal with this way too often. And, you know, I talk about my flip. I did 120 yards mm -hmm. of trash, right? That's I fuck, five big, large containers, yep. right? And, uh, excuse me, I um, have people, hey, you know, hold on. I'm like, look, I'm over here working, right? And they come over and, oh, hey, let's take a look around. Okay. Like, I'm over here ripping carpet out. Not, not, not any of them could just grab carpet and throw it or grab something to throw out the window, right? I had one person finally come over and they're like, oh, you, you want help? If you want to, there's stuff. Go, right? When you start talking to me while we're working, I will answer any question. And guess what? By the time I get tired, but when you start quick, I'll sit and answer questions. Well, and and they're also slowing you down as well. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, it's like when I, when I have something like, like I, I offered it up like, hey, I need help moving like 25 minutes uh, for like 45 minutes. You're, you know, obviously you help me. I'll, I'll use the, I use the 20 minutes save to answer whatever questions you want because you're saving me time. But that's what's important to me, you know, right? Like I, I have people reach out to me all the time. That's like, like I, I have, I have people all the time that reach out to me because they want to learn more about self storage and the offer up, like, um, you know, and, and there's a difference between assuming and offering up, but they're assuming that I want a thousand more social media followers. I, I really don't want a thousand more social media. Now, if you offer me a thousand accredited investors that are going to invest, then yeah, that's one thing. But they're offering me up so they have no value to me at all. You know, or somebody's like, you know, like, oh, I'm offering you a free meal. Honestly, dude, like, I, I, I don't Take want a free food. meal. You know, like, I, <laughs> yes. I, 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 like, my wife's a great cook. I'm a good cook. I, I don't want a free meal. So don't uh, offer me up what I, or basically, basically return to me exactly if you're listening to me what I want, you know, and that's, that's the difficult thing is that, you know, people are being so to say, no, they're, they're following these courses out there telling me to do this and that, but you know, you all, we all know this, but the best salespeople we've ever dealt with, they're always very personable and they always listen to what we, what we have to say. And, and people obviously are not practicing that, you know, they're too busy practicing what they learned elsewhere when you need to just practice what you can do with learning from the, you know, one, 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 one person just told you. So. And, and it's nothing against people, but like, mm -hmm. I'll get people all the time. Hey, I'd like to take you to lunch. Right. Um, and like lunch usually isn't good for me. Right. Like no. you want me, I, my daughter goes to bed at eight 30. Let's grab beer. Right. And you're going to a bar around the corner from my house and we will sit there like, and you're picking up the tab. Okay. What time's that? Like eight 30, nine o'clock. Well, you know, I got this and all right, cool. Like 
that's fine. I, I, you, I didn't need this, right? Like, you're the one that said you wanted it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not out to give everybody the time that they want. Mm-hmm. I'm out to give them my time when I want to, right? Um, I'll go to meetups and I find myself going, you know, you had asked the question a long time ago, right? Like, do you get any benefit from going to meetups? And yes, like I build relationships. It doesn't come today, but it'll come years from now or it'll come like a long time, right? Another one of our friends asked the same thing. He doesn't go to meetups. And, he's like, yeah. and I'm like, look, and then all of a sudden kind of things came around. You're like, Oh man, relationship building, it's, you know, you need, you need to do that. You got to do it with the right people and you do, you have to do it with the right people. So like I quit doing, I'm your, your own assistant, Jeremiah, like called me out. We were at, we were at like another meetup. You always, you always get these new people that ask a million questions, give them all your time. You never ask for anything. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Because you have to start asking for stuff. So like now, like my goal, when I first get there is like, this is what I want. Who do you know that does this? Right. <laughs> like, You'd be like, hey, what do you do? And I was like, what do you want? That guy doesn't go. Like, I'm not your guy, right? Like, nothing against you. We're not going to help each other out. And maybe down the line, now that you know I'm an investor, help each other out. But otherwise, really, I'm looking for this person. That's mm-hmm. it. Well, like, somebody, like, somebody gives you, like, let's say somebody asked for a lunch appointment with me. I just told you, I only work from like 11 to 3 or 12 to 3. So I do two hour lunch appointment. You literally ate half of my work day by with that lunch appointment. So, yeah. or I got to basically give up, basically picking up my kids from school or dropping them off, or I have to basically give up my, you know, like, uh, going to the gym. So I, no offense, but like, nobody that just entered my life is more important than those three things to me. So I, I just don't look at it that way. So I, I, it's really rare for me to get a lunch appointment with somebody. Now, now if I see somebody that is doing something where I see that they're hustling and I want to help them out, if I see something that's been like, you know, a billion involved in philanthropy, um, you know, those things I will like, you know, like, I'll, like my, one of my contractors, um, uh, says, Hey, I want to get out of my, out of general contracting. I want to basically start a bread and back for us. So, you know, we had a conversation about that and I don't know what will come with it. I don't know if we'll get out of it, but it obviously doesn't benefit me for him to basically quit. Cause I've been using him, you know, for a long time now. But ultimately, I know that he knows I have, a, you know, I have it in play. And also the other thing too, as well, we talk about always listening to what motivates people. Like, you know, people are used to contractors seeing pay me cash, but in the commercial world, what is really, really big distinguisher that will give you favor. And even if we're using some of these really large construction companies, is I people, people a lot of times in five days. And most of the time, a lot of these bigger companies, they're paying them in 30 days, 60 days, even 90 days. So my contractors don't have to float money in between. And so like for that right there, I've been able to build rapport people incredibly quickly just by paying them fast. It's like, that's the easiest thing in the world. I just got to pay you on time. Like, you know, it's kind of weird that that's even an issue, but it's common. And that's one of the, it's very common. That's, that's one of my biggest struggles with my business versus the business I work for. A business I work for pays people on 30-day notes. I am a same day, if not next day, kind of a guy. Yeah. Right. But it's also why my people, when I call them, Nick, I'll be right there. And when they get there, if I'm not in town, you know, they get paid when I get back to them. Or if I'm in town, I'm the guy with a beer bottle in hand going, thanks so much for making this happen, man. Hey, oh, I didn't have cash because it's 9 o'clock at night. Let me write you that check. Hey, thanks. Right. Like, and, and the office, you know, the office I work for is like, Oh, we got to stop doing this. And I get that it's hard struggle, but like 
they don't understand retention of people because guess what? If they know that you're collectible, they're going to come do work because they'll do a job for somebody. They'll be like, nah, you know, I, I growing up, I had a guy who, who's like, oh, I own places out of, out of the area. My people will drop everything and come to my place. And I'm like, yeah, everybody says that. And he goes, no, I pay them and I pay them on the spot. Now you can do it with Venmo and stuff like that. And he goes, and I, like literally right then, like he goes, they will come because I say, hey, I need it. And they're, they're guaranteed money right then. Yeah, they're not waiting. I, I think it's huge. Like when people say cash is king, it's actually true. Like if I, 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 I mean, right now I have, you know, a lot of money in my pocket. You know, as you always do. My my contract that day. I was like, hey, what do you need? He goes, Well, I'm gonna need some more money. I was like, how much do you need? He's like, eh, I get a thousand bucks for materials. He goes, Well, I'm gonna I gotta pay my guys, you know, soon. So maybe you know, you can do whatever. And I was like, here's another two grand, just laid it out. I was like, here you go. Like, you tell me what you need. I carry it because I know what you know, I know what's gonna happen. Like, if I called right now and I had a water heater go out, knock on wood, let's not talk about it, you know, like I'll call the right person. I'm gonna take a beer. I'm going to drive there. I'm going to be there with cash. And I'm going to go, here you go, man. <laughs> and guess what? It'll be cheaper than if I didn't bring the beer. <laughs> Say that beer is worth a shit ton. Surprising how much that beer is worth. Well, you know, it's funny because even having this business, yeah. one of the things that was important to us was when do people get paid? So, you know, we're open Thursday through Sunday. Whatever you work Thursday through Sunday, you get paid Monday. Yeah. Oh, huge. Every week. They have to come in and get it? No. Direct deposit. Oh, so at worst, you have it Tuesday morning. But I know with me, you know, I get paid every two weeks. Yeah. I get paid yeah. every two weeks. Yeah, I don't, like, even when I did do flips, I don't I don't typically get paid the contractors immediately. I just tell them Friday. Like, every Friday, I'm making my rounds. You're going to pay them. But I always tell them, like, do not send me an invoice for stuff you haven't done yet. Because if you start doing that, then if I'm out of town then I'm not, I'm not going to like pay you. I mean, like my contractors are consistently good about that. Yeah. These send me a photo and I trust them. But then you have some contractors, you know, that like they'll send you a photo and then you get there and you're kind of like, Oh wow, there's a lot of details off. And then you're, and they're trying to get them to do that too as well. So, but and well, that's not the reason why I, I kind of got out of the flips is because um, the, the level of contractor you work with is, is completely different. And, and, and do me wrong. My contract is not they're, they're not, but like they need money to get by. So like, Currently, how it's working is, you know, I, I'll be honest, I just dropped $9,000 on roofing inside. Okay. But I went and purchased it, put it on my card, did whatever. And like, they're not doing any work. So I'm not paying it. But like, hey, guess what? They did other stuff. They're painting. And, hey, I've paid you for this. Like, I'll, I'll make sure that you make your mortgage payment along the way as long as the work's getting done. But if I come in and guess what? There's nothing done. Like, sure, you can tell me you've been there the whole time. I'm lucky. You can do, like, I have. Balls when it comes to flips, like when it comes to tenancy, there's a completely different. Like I don't raise rents, but like when it comes to my like, no, like get this done and I'll pay you, right? Hey, once my flooring's done, buy this, but I don't have to do that with these guys. So that's why it's like, hey, all right, oh, I need payment because we've done this so far. Great deal. Like you know, I mean, I'll, I'll gladly pay for that all day. You know, if I'm dropping, if I gave him two thousand bucks to go get materials, you know, come back, I have. 10 brand new doors throughout the whole house and you know stupid stuff they're painted they're not up but like they're painted they're there they're okay cool hey i need some more money for these materials okay we've gone through 20 gallons of paint so far because the walls are getting soaking them up and the ceilings are a bitch but right, like 
I pay, it's not like I'm paying for the full job. I'm just I'm paying along the way. And they're appreciative because they don't have to worry about their car payment. They don't have to worry about their house payment. They don't have to worry about anything. They're getting paid along the way. Not like it's the end of the job. So when I'm not doing 50-50, I'm paying for materials and paying you to do the job along the way. So and it's working out really, really well right now. Well, that's important. Huge. I'll say, I, I wish I had this business my whole time. Yeah. I would have been retired 12 years ago. Started 12 years ago. <laughs> I mean, you did retire for a little bit. There. I did four full months. Yeah. What a wonderful life. So, um, all right. What is uh, what is the number one mistake you see people making in this industry? Um, I think uh, why not taking action and going back to two, like they're, they're not, they're keep, they keep looking at things from their perspective, especially when it comes to valuing it in time, you know, like what you, the example I say, valuing investor's time, valuing a contractor's time to keep looking at it's just, you know, what, it, you know, what it's worth to them. But um, you got, you got to really look at it from other people's perspective. So. Anything else? I think Charles has answered a ton of stuff. Really, uh, we appreciate your time. Thank. You. Anything else that you want to tell us? Yeah, plug anything you got. Um, I mean, uh, I guess uh, if you want to follow my YouTube video, um, so I am trying to become uh, a speaker for ISS. I was formally invited, which is a good sign. Uh, so in ISS is Inside Cell Storage. Uh, from a peer, um, like knowledge and writing perspective, I think I have it nailed down. The one thing that's hurting me because I don't embrace it is that I'm not a big social media follower and things like that. So followers there would probably be a help, um, even though I'm hoping I can get through on my own. Uh, it's just one of those things I know, like I, uh, I want to uh, get there with just basically solely off of the knowledge and, and what I'm doing, not basically off of what I put out there on social media, even though I realize that, you know, people follow social media, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like put out high quality technical content. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that'll get me there. I, uh, I was scrolling through TikTok the other day. Yeah. And guess whose TikTok came up with a turkey in front of a truck. Ooh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Freaking all my all my best all my best posts this year are like turkey high 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 hijacking our truck so we can't get out of a parking lot. I put another one of two birds basically fighting, and I put like, are they um, making love or fighting? And I got like two thousand social media. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I, if I just put a I put a post out that was like how to save hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it was like a really good quality post. Got, you know, 800 views. And then I got this other post within minutes. I got 2,000 views from people from all over the world. So yeah. well, I got problem, post, more animal posts. I'm good. So. All you got to do is get that 100,000 in liquid cash and throw it out there. So you want to know how to make this kind of money? And that'll get views, man. People, people will pay attention. So maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have uh, one of my assistants just take over that. So I've thought, actually, I've thought about doing that. But one of my friends actually had it where their employee laughed. And then their employee just posted all this crazy, ridiculous stuff on Twitter that like to damage their name. So I've thought about getting to sign stuff beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I, I've limited. I've I have I've given limited access to my assistants before to handle my social media, but that kind of scares me. But that's what I should do is just have one of my 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 assistants just take over my social media account. So, um, Mike, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you gave a lot of input today. Let's <laughs> see. Uh, I'd like to, before I, before I end this, uh, Mike, Brewdog, Pride, it was actually a really good beer. Thank you so much for it. Um, Charlie, thank you so much for joining us. 
If you guys wouldn't mind, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family. Of course, we love the grandmas. Go ahead and tell them, too, because they love listening to us. They, they do. And uh, uh, thank you to our engagement on Twitch here from our friend who, you know, is watching the Viking Sly all day, and man. Goldberg. And Goldberg. That's right. So. <laughs> we, uh, we'll have an episode next week. I don't know if we'll be on Twitch, though, because it'll depend on, on Steve's house since we're going on location next week. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, my phone. That's what it is. It That's better sure. be in your phone. You put it in the other day. You did. <laughs> so, so, guys, take care. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya. You've dialed in to Box and Brews. You might hear something you can use. Like tips on your cash or tips on the suds. You're going to want to use the smarts of these studs. Because they know the brews. And they know the box. And they know they can't help the stubborn fucks. So listen up, because shit's not funny. And save yourself some beer money. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews. Bucks. And brews. Bucks and brews.